As indicated by writer Ann Turgeson, a small group of workers will find something new in their 401k plans starting in July, the option to invest in cryptocurrency. Forasol Incorporated, a 401k provider, announced earlier this summer a deal with the institutional arm of Coinbase Global, a leading cryptocurrency exchange. The deal will allow workers in For Us All administered plans to invest up to 5% of their 401k contributions in Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and other digital currencies. As Turgeson notes, with just $1.7 billion in retirement plan assets, Forasol represents a small piece of the $22 trillion retirement account market. Still, for those preparing for retirement who have sought some exposure to digital currencies, it's a step in the right direction. But given the volatility of cryptocurrency valuations, one should be wary of such investments. Firms, including Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab, don't permit customers to purchase or sell cryptocurrency in taxable accounts or individual retirement accounts. Proponents of adding a small dose of cryptocurrency to a portfolio contend that the practice can raise expected returns without increasing overall risk. Some believe digital currencies can serve as a hedge against inflation. Forasol executives indicate that participants who invest in cryptocurrency must acknowledge having read disclosures that it is a volatile asset class. The company plans to alert participants when the value of their digital currency investments exceeds 5% of their balance. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. As indicated by writer Neil Irwin, America, with its pandemic aid measures and rapid vaccine rollout, is presently propelling the global economy. The massive stimulus packages and reopening of the US economy is acting as a source of fresh demand in all corners of the world. Newly available trade data indicate that a meaningful share of America's public spending power is being spent on imported goods, in what economists often term fiscal leakage. In other words, as America's stimulus-filled economy continues to recover, Americans are buying many goods from overseas. But the balance of the world has yet to catch up economically and therefore is not positioned to purchase more American exports. That helps explain why America's trade deficit with the balance of the world was $75 billion in March and nearly $70 billion in April. That's far above the levels of approximately $45 billion per month prior to the pandemic. Data indicate that, among other things, Americans are spending their stimulus money on imported furniture and appliances. America typically runs a large trade surplus with the balance of the world in services, including software, Hollywood films, and banking. But the biggest single area of service exports prior to the pandemic was international travel to America. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. America's booming economy is driving inflation higher around the world. The U.S. economy accounts for nearly a quarter of global output. Unusually brisk American economic growth this year remains critical to a global economy still recovering from last year's setbacks. Federal Reserve Bank officials expect the U.S. economy to grow 7% this year. The problem is that America's growth is so rapid that accompanying demand growth is resulting in rising prices in other parts of the world. Factories around the world are straining to keep up with American demand. Those factories use various inputs, including tin, copper, and other metals, many of which have experienced surging prices for much of this year. 
Other prices are also on the rise, including the price of food. Since the beginning of the year, the price of potatoes, cabbage, and carrots has risen by 60 to 80% in Russia. As indicated by the Wall Street Journal, central banks in Russia, Brazil, and Turkey recently raised interest rates in part to put downward pressure on inflation stemming from surging commodity prices. Central banks in Scandinavia and South Korea have also signaled plans to tighten monetary policy, including in order to restrain the possible emergence of asset price bubbles, particularly in overheating property markets. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. The Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC, may be the most important company in the world that many of us have never heard of. The company's computer chips are everywhere. Indeed, as indicated by writer Yang Ji and two co-authors, the company manufactures almost all of the world's most sophisticated computer chips and some of its less complex ones as well. These chips are in billions of products with built-in electronics, including iPhones, personal computers, and vehicles. The company has emerged in recent years as the globe's most important semiconductor company and exerts enormous influence over the global economy. As of mid-June, the company was associated with a market capitalization of approximately $550 billion, ranking it as the world's 11th most valuable company. Its dominance leaves the world in a somewhat vulnerable position, however. The company hasn't been able to manufacture enough chips to satisfy everyone, a fact that has become apparent amid a global shortage of computer chips that is acting as a supply bottleneck, especially in the auto industry. But it's difficult for other companies to produce what TSMC does. It now makes around 92% of the world's most sophisticated computer chips. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. About a year ago, a committee of economists declared that the pandemic had officially caused a recession. The recession is dated to have begun in February of 2020. So is the recession over? That seems like a simple question with an obvious answer, and yet the committee, known as the Business Cycle Dating Committee, has yet to supply a response. The committee is part of the National Bureau of Economic Research, a private organization based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. As indicated by the New York Times, its Business Cycle Dating Committee is comprised of eight esteemed academics who specialize in macroeconomics and business cycles. The definition of recession they use is, quote, a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and that lasts more than a few months, close quote. These economists use the term recession only to refer to the period during which economic activity is actually contracting, not to the entire period of bad economic times. That's why they decided the previous recession ended in June of 2009, even though the economy still felt terrible to many people during a period of sluggish recovery. We await a declaration that the pandemic-induced recession is over, but as a practical matter, it's been over for more than a year. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.